Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week, my guest on the show is Martin Mays, who's had an extremely successful career racing the EWS and Downhill World Cup circuits, and we had a whole lot to talk about between Martin's 2021 season and then his recent change from GT, who he had been racing for since he was a teenager, to Orbea as his bike and frame sponsor. And in the middle of last season, he also became a father. And so Martin shares some really good insights on the life of a professional racer and the mental aspects of dealing with that profession and overcoming adversity and injuries and the perspective shift that new fatherhood has given him. So before we get into that, though, I do want to take just a quick minute to encourage those of you who've been listening to the show for a little while to take a minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. If you're new here, thanks for tuning in. Check the show out. And I hope you like what you're hearing. But if you've been listening to more than a couple of episodes, we'd really appreciate it if you'd take the minute to leave us that rating, because we certainly hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. And those ratings and reviews will really help us keep growing the show and bringing you these great guests and great conversations that you've been enjoying since we've started. So with that, let's get right into my conversation with Martin Mays. Well, Martin, thanks for coming on. Great to have you here. How are you today and where are you today? Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, first ever podcast for me. Uh, so I hope it's going to be interesting uh, for the listener. But uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying this, uh, this first part of, uh, of the training block. Um, I'm in Belgium um, with my family. And the weather has been uh, excellent over the last few weeks, so um, I can't complain. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Glad you're getting some time there and getting back into the swing of things. Race season's coming up pretty quick here. But before we get into the 2022 season here, let's start by talking a little bit about your 2021 year. And as you kind of alluded to, you kicked the season off by becoming a father and actually skipped the first race weekend to, to be with your new family there. So how did kind of that timing all impact your preparation for the season or just change your outlook to what you were going into the season, kind of having this new set of priorities and yeah, having to miss the first weekend to, to be with your family? Yeah, so uh, my wife's pregnancy was uh, going, going very, very well um, till uh, month number eight, uh, where there was supposed to be one more month uh, for the birth, but uh, my little daughter decided to come a little bit earlier, I guess. So um, I was, yeah, I was supposed to leave on Monday for um, for uh, Canada Day, the first two EWS, and I was, you know, getting ready uh, <laughs> over the weekend, and I could I could see my my wife uh, Juliette getting a little bit uh, anxious and nervous and um, pretty much the night before I left um, before I was supposed to leave um, it started to go yeah a little bit uh, not as it was planned she had high blood pressure and uh, we went to the hospital uh, I thought it would be you know just for a quick a quick checkup and I will be able to leave but uh, they kept um, they kept my wife uh, at the hospital and they say that they had to uh, to um, to uh, to let the baby come as soon as possible so um, the birth went actually very very smooth and uh, I was you know straight away I called my team manager Mark and I I just told him, I'm sorry, but I won't be there um, that weekend in Canada. And he was like, yeah, you know, it, there is so much more important things in life than just two races. Um, I was, don't get me wrong, I was bumped because, you know, it's a lot of prepa preparation leading to, um, to the races, you know, a lot of hours on the bike. And uh, don't get me wrong, I really love it. But, uh, you know, it was, um, it was obviously... Getting my first child was um, 
experience of a lifetime um nothing comparable to even go at the races you know i love racing but it's just not comparable so yeah priority went to uh to my little daughter and uh, i was glad that my wife and my daughter clem was uh, they were both uh extremely healthy after the birth and uh, yeah it was pretty much pretty much a new life starting from there um which uh, yeah i loved every every single moment of it um it takes time it takes energy so as an athlete um you know you i always say that when you're an athlete you um almost need to be a little bit selfish sometimes you know think about uh obviously your training your recovery and you sometimes uh, forget a few important stuff in life which you know family is a big part of it um so it the birth definitely opened my eyes on a lot of things and um and uh, yeah like i say it's uh, it's probably the best the best thing ever how i had sort of known that story but i didn't actually realize that it involved quite such a dramatic last minute plan change so that w- must have been quite a whirlwind but certainly sounds like you made the right call there and i'm glad everyone's doing well you're First race back then after that in Bethul was a bit rocky. You had a pretty big crash and suffered a concussion that kept you out of the next race. How was your recovery from that? And and more generally, I'd be curious to hear you have thoughts on uh, kind of how head injuries are treated in the bike world. Had Ed Masters on a few weeks ago, and he talked a bit about feeling like mountain biking's maybe racing specifically is a little bit behind a lot of other sports where, for example, in a football match or something if you had someone who had an obvious head injury you've got someone whose job it is to just pull them out and take the decision out of the athlete's hands to be out there and playing again and mountain biking's not quite there yet so i guess yeah how did the recovery go and sort of do you have any thoughts along the lines of what i was saying about how the bike world thinks about head injuries more generally yeah, I think um, on concussions, there is definitely um, could talk about it for hours and hours, um, which is not which is not the goal of uh, of this conversation. But I'm pretty, I would say, sensible about concussion because uh, through the last few years of my career, I had um, a few of them, and um, like I said, as long as they are treated. Um, right after the impact it's absolutely fine for all of us you know it takes time uh, it takes patience but uh, you will be fine and you will come back stronger after it you know um, but the main issue that there is with concussion is that you know a lot of people travel um, to to race a lot of people invest time invest money to race there is the pressure of the championship for us um, as professional athletes so there is there is for amateurs and athletes there is that pressure you know of needing to actually complete the race and uh, make points um, for the amateur it's different they invest money they invest time to come over so if they crash the first day of practice and they have a concussion in the back of their mind, they know it's not going to be smart for the people that are enough educated about concussions and know how serious it can be. But the thing is, they're still going to think that they might be okay because you feel okay, but you're not. And you keep going, you're not yourself on the bike, and you risk to crash um, again and again. And this is where it gets extremely dangerous. Um, so now, um, there is sensors that exist that um, are created to put on the helmet that actually uh, measure the impact on your head that you have, um, but it's not. It's still not quite uh, accurate enough to use, and it's connected to your phone. It's an app, and at least you can you can measure the impact. Um, but there is also one thing: is that it's not. A concussion can be from an impact on your head, but it can also be from an impact on your back, on your neck, or 
just through the visions. So I think there is a lot of variables um, about concussion. It's ex extremely, extremely hard to measure and to know if you can keep riding or if you can't. Um, so it's uh, it's super complex and. Uh, I'm, I'm sometimes worried about people that I see that massive crash and the next day you see them smiling at the start of the race and you're like, you know, you shouldn't be racing. This is not start. This is not smart. And it could have consequences on, uh, the rest of your life just from one race. So, so there's, there is just no compromise to be made. And uh, in my case in Latvia, you know, also becoming a father, um, like I said before, you know, it changed quite a bit of things uh, in your mind and the way you approach the races. And, you know, I broke my helmet, my peak was off. Uh, I knew I had a massive impact. And I am lucky in the team that uh, we have uh, Greg Coombs that is um, following us. He's uh, our swanier, he's our chief. He cooks fast, but he has also experience uh, on concussion. He's worked for football um, teams, rugby teams. So he has a lot of experience um, on that subject. And uh, we are extremely lucky to have him to make the right call when there is uh, an impact or concussion on uh, on our head. Um, but yeah, to come back on, on my on my fall, my crash, you know, I could, like I said, I could have raced um, the next uh, the next two days because it was a double eater, so there was uh, still uh, one race to go. I could have raced, but it was just not smart enough, especially after missing the two the two first races in uh, in Canazay. So I knew there was no nothing left in the championship um, that I could do. And, uh, I was just, you know, I had the freedom to, to, to make the right call. And, um, you know, I feel extremely lucky because that's one of the thing, you know, if you're playing for the championship, um, you might have pressure from teams, uh, from team manager. And, you know, obviously we know it's not smart, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's our job, you know, we need to perform and there's a reason why we get paid. So, um, sometimes we forget that there is that extreme, uh, pressure of, you know, performing and doing well to make sure we secure a contract for the next seasons. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it was a tough decision, but, uh, like I say, you know, my priority is my health and, um, it will always be my priority. So. Um, nothing to go against that. Yeah, that's good. And it does totally make sense to what you said that having missed the first two races in some ways made that decision easier that you didn't have the same pressure of chasing a full season anyway. And so, well, what's what's another race then? It's okay. But after that, you did start at the build back some speed and uh, finished the season on a strong note, won the final race in Tweed Valley. Take us through just the next couple of races and kind of how things went for you and finding your form again after a little bit of a slow start to the season. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty slow start to the season, actually. Um, no, it was, um, yeah, I guess it was, it was a new bike for me as well, uh, that season. And we didn't do so much testing prior to the 2021 season. So I was, I guess a little bit struggling with the bike to find the right balance with the suspension. It was also the first time that I was racing a full 29er front and back with a GT um, Force 29er, a high pivot bike as well. So it was something um, quite new to me. So don't get me wrong, that's my job and I should have tested a little bit more. But, you know, with the pregnancy of my wife and stuff like this, maybe I didn't sacrifice as much time as I did in the past. Um, but I was, yeah, I was feeling, I was feeling good on the bike, feeling fit. And, um, it was, I felt like, you know, with missing the first four races, I felt like I was lacking a little bit of intensity and, um, and aggressivity on the bike, which I never really felt that before, but, uh, yeah, we, I had some pretty good races, a few top five, but I was. I knew I could do more and I could do better, but there was, yes, there was just something, something in the back of my head that 
didn't really work for some reason um and i still i still don't know if that's the bike if that's just myself um but uh, yeah i i was a little bit struggling and i was not where i was planning uh to go and it, it's a vicious circle because when you start to think too much uh, you lose a little bit of uh, actually motivation to go out training. And, um, you know, there are small little things when you're not where you should be, when you're not when you should be. It's like it gets into your mind and it becomes even harder to be where you are uh, normally. So, um, yeah, I was, I was a little bit struggling. And, and then we came to, um, to Inaliten, uh for the last race of, of the season. And, um, yeah, I was just, I was, <laughs> well, it was a little bit unlucky for me, but I was starting to feel myself again on the bike, um, the last race of the season. And there is that always that extra motivation to perform, uh, at least for me, um, the last race of the season, because I know that I really need to give everything and then it's all over for a few months. And I also feel like, you know, if you're feeling a re- on a really high note, um, it's it's a more pleasant off season um, that is ahead of you because you know uh, you're at the top level and you know you did the right thing to perform. So um, it was the case for me, and obviously, no one of you guys knew, but uh, I knew myself that it was uh, my last race with GT. So um, it was uh, it was quite an emotional race, and uh, and yeah, I've been I've been working. We've been working together for nine years, and uh, they really picked me up from the beginning. So I felt like I I was owning them a lot, you know, for all the opportunities that they gave me, all the good time that we had together. Uh, it was such an amazing way to finish uh, the end of the season. Uh, for for the team and myself you know giving them the win was uh yeah it was like a dream it was like a dream so um i'm i'm really grateful that it all finished that way and um and i was i was over the moon really really over the moon yeah always nice to feel like you're going out on top and ending something on a strong note and well but to talk about leaving gt there uh, i mean like you said not only had you been racing for them for a long time now but your dad did as well and like you've just got so much history with gt for going back of you know pretty much your whole life almost so i'd be curious to hear a little more about what made you decide that it was time to move on and um we'll get into signing with orbea in a second here but after yeah after all that time what made you decide that you were ready for a change to be very honest with you, I think the first reason was uh, to find a new challenge. Um, when you stay with the same team, uh, the same brand, the same bike for so many years, it gets to a point that maybe you're lacking, you don't realize, but maybe you're lacking a little bit of motivation because you know the people so well, you know what's going to ha- happen at the races, you know with the people that you're going to be with at the races. So... I feel like motivation was dropping a little bit and I felt like I really needed a new challenge to uh, to keep performing the way that I did over the last few years. Um, there was also one part of the season, one part of the reason uh, for that change was also the way that um, I think the bike, the bike didn't really suit me um that well because it was a full 29er um but also the the high pivot was that i found it extremely difficult to ride with uh with that bike so i couldn't really see myself uh ride with that bike the next couple of years at the highest level so it was obviously the second big reason for that change um but uh yeah the GT has been absolutely amazing uh, over the last nine years. My dad raced for GT, raced Dual Slalom, European Championship became with GT. So there was uh, quite a long history with GT uh, inside that uh, our family, um, and I will I will always be number fan number one fan um, of GT. And uh, like I say, 
we ended up um, the the collaboration on the best note possible and um and uh, you know mark morrison my mechanic team manager um he lives half an hour away and i still see him to to go ride trial bike um and we spend just we're just friends so we we spend time together and it doesn't matter you know which bike you're riding with or which uh you know which kit you're riding with you know friendship is is much more important than uh actually contracts so um i'm really glad we we ended up the relationship and the collaboration on the on the best note possible and yeah nothing to say i will like i said i will always be number one fan of, of gt bicycle and uh and I know how much they gave me, so um, I, I fully respect them. Good to go out on good terms, and their racing programs still in good hands. Uh, they got really solid team going over there. So it's cool to see things going. But that brings us to you signing with Urbea for this year. And um, one of the things I've been curious to hear a bit about regarding that, um, particularly kind of what you said about the changes in the the new GT last year, maybe not suiting you so well is that i know you've been doing quite a bit of experimenting with the rayon that you're racing now and have been trying a bunch of different setups including a couple frame sizes and whether or not you want to run it as a mullet or a full 29er and i think air and coil shock options as well and so on just curious to hear what you've been testing and kind of what you're finding so far what's working for you and how are all those trade-offs going Yeah, I think that's also one one other subject that we could actually talk for hours and hours. It's endless. It's endless. The possibilities, um, the amount of work, the amount of yeah, of different things that you can change or make to actually make that that bike uh, feels like home. You know, and um, it was also the advantage of starting with uh, with Orbea, a new brand. It was really really starting from scratch um and that's that's what we needed you know we went from you know the really basics uh frame size um obviously you go on the website and uh, i'm i'm one one meters 85 centimeters so uh on the website they will advise you to be in between large and extra large, but actually I ended up being on the medium and I'm sure that's the best choice for me, um, at least for racing enduro, because that's one of the thing, you know, I tested both on my own trails and, uh, I felt like the large was just so much easier, but you actually re- really, really know the trails. So it, you ride it with your mind, you, you don't really ride it because uh, it's a new bike or whatever. You, you really ride it because you're so used to it. So it doesn't really matter which bike you're on. Um, and then we went to Finale at the Finale Ligure the first, the second weekend of January. And like we said, like I said, we really started from scratch. So we had both large and medium with the same spec. Um, so starting from the same wheel size, same on the bars, pretty much same everything. And, uh, we did a lot of timing session. Once again, what's extremely interesting and extremely hard, um, when you want to test properly for, for enduro is that you can't spend all day on one track because it's not enduro anymore, you know, and you start to, um, to set up your bike, uh, a way that you could almost race downhill with it, you know? So what we did was actually we had timing system. So the first run was to put this timing system, see if there was nothing on the track. Um, and then the second run will be the recce run. And then we will start testing the time, you know, one time on the medium, one time on the large, and I will go back on the medium and just check the time obviously putting the the same uh, effort so in terms of pedal strokes the way you attack you know try to stay extremely extremely consistent and um and after i think we did over the week we did i think over five or six different tracks with the same process and every time i was in between 0.5 and one percent faster 
um, on the medium size. I found just the easiness of riding the medium, like everything felt extremely natural. Um, and I think at the end of the day, enduro is, um, that's what you need to look for, you know, when you're racing enduro is, you know, you don't really know the tracks you're riding flat out. So you need to be able to change direction very quickly. Um, but it also, the bike really needs to feel natural and, that's that's what i found with the medium i was uh we tested for five days and um we were actually planning to try frame stiffness um uh different forks or 36 or 38 coil air shock um there was so much carbon alloy wheels so there was so much that we, we were actually planning to to test but uh <laughs> we ended up being the the last day and we were still needing to confirm which frame size i was going to test so <laughs> it was a long 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 process but uh you know it, it's there are it's the most important step um getting to know and learning how a bike is riding and behaving and it really comes from the frame size uh and that's the most important thing at the end of the day so we did step by step we didn't burn any bridges um, we went straight to the point and um, we ended up choosing, I hope, um, the best the best bike uh, possible for those coming years. That's super interesting. And I guess I'd, well, for one, I would be curious to hear, like, on the f- subject of the frame size, is it kind of that you feel like the smaller frame is just a little bit easier to kind of throw around and um, particularly – like you said, racing enduro, you're not racing a track that you have been able to go learn every little detail of like you do in the downhill race. And so there's sort of more of an element of having to react on the fly and accept that you are going to make mistakes sometimes just because you can't have the track dialed in the same way that you do in a downhill race. And is it just that it's sort of easier to react and recover from those things on the smaller bike that's easier to maneuver or how would you characterize kind of the the way the medium feels better to you yeah one thing that we sometimes don't really consider but it's extremely important is how the track is actually changing um over practice day to race day um it might be you know super dry on the practice day and super wet on um, on race day so um, you really need to have a bike that is able to change direction and be easy to ride you know you don't need because that's that's also one of the thing uh, we discussed with the engineers at Orbea is like over the last few years even the last decade uh, the bike got longer, longer, longer. Every every model, there was a few centimeters, inches, you know, adding to to the reach of the bike. And you know, we as human, we don't grow as fast, you know. So there is always there is always a limit to how far you can go, um, extremely, uh, in terms of geometry. So. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and sometimes also at the EWS, you know, there is from your practice front to your race front, there might be almost a thousand of people riding the track in front of you. Uh, so the track is destroyed. The track changed completely. And like I say, weather change, um, uh, can be impacted, you know, um, and, uh, and yeah, I felt like the smaller bike, which is actually the same reach as the previous large um, at Aubert's for the Rallin, um, was uh, was suiting me so well. And even even now, you know, when I jump back on the bike and I do ride the bike quite often, I I have always such a big smile, and it's such a it's such an efficient bike to ride to uh, compared to what I was used to. Um, so that there is a lot of feelings on that bike at the moment. So I'm really, really excited to put it against the clock um, at the races at the beginning of June. Yeah, we're looking forward to watching it too. 
I know you said you didn't maybe do as much testing as you had originally planned to in that session for some of the other variables, wheel size and suspension setup and stuff, but would still be curious to hear you take us through kind of what you're settling on, given that there is such an amount of flexibility on that bike and you've got a bunch of different options. So what are you settling in on as far as wheel size and coil versus air suspension and so on? So yeah, starting from um, the top of the bikes, there is obviously handlebars. There is a lot of people that think that um, actually alloy handlebars are more flexible, uh, forgive more, but um, with the race phase component that we use, um, uh, it, the carbon is actually much more flexible. Um, and this is one of the things that we tested um, at the first team camp as well. Um, and also, um, there was a stamp length that is extremely important because the longer your stamp is, the more, uh, control you have over the front wheels. But when it gets steeper, you know, it's also a little bit more difficult because your body weight goes, uh, over the front wheels a little bit more. So there is a lot of things to actually play with, you know, starting from those two. And there is also the stiffness of the hand, uh, of the fork. I'm sorry. So, um, stiffness of the fork, it's, it's a big deal, you know, bef- between 36 and 38, they're actually very different forks, uh, much more stiffer with 38. So, um, you know, there is also a lot of things to play. And one curious thing is that I really liked the 36 with my GT. That was a little bit more, uh, flexible, uh, in terms of frame. Um, the rear hand was aluminium, so the, the bike was a little bit more flexy. Um, so yeah, like I said, there is so much, so much you can play with. There is also, um, uh, carbon or aluminium, uh, wheels, which makes a massive, massive difference on the way the bike rides. Um, in my opinion, carbon wheels, um, are maybe less forgiving um, than alloy, which is why I use. Uh, but also one very import- important topics for us EWS racer is that when you dent uh, an aluminum wheel, so you can always save it overnight. Um, put it back, you know, and the wheels is almost fine, ready to go for the next day. However, if you break a carbon wheels, you get a five minute penalty. Uh, because you need to change the wheels. So it's an important factor for us uh, that plays a championship that, you know, it's not always all uh, about the actual result after the weekend, but more about the consistency of the result over the the weekends of racing. So um, uh, this, this, this is something that you need to think about uh, for the races and, also, you know, ride conservative, you know, if you want to take a very, very risky line and go for it, then, then you might lose everything or break a wheel or something like this or get a puncture. So the way you ride is, um, is crucial and has a massive impact over the full season, obviously. That's very interesting. And just kind of some good thoughts on what different variables there are to play with and so on where are you ending up on wheel size if you are you going to go back to racing a mullet or are you sticking with the bike as a full 29er yeah it was it was also extremely interesting because um i felt like um with the large frame um there was no way i was going to ride with the 29er wheels at the back uh so it was going to go it was going to be a mullet setup but then, um, so the test session that we did last month in finale, we had both bikes and mallet. Um, and then when I finally choose, uh, my frame size, I was like, right, we move on with the median, but then now let's try to put the 29 wheels, uh, at the back, you know, and the difference was insane in terms of efficiency. But also it made, it kind of made the medium frame feels a little bit bigger, which is exactly needed. Um, so it, it was kind of, kind of, of interesting because, you know, with the large, there was no way I was going to use 
the full 29er setup, with, but with the medium, I really loved it. Uh, so, um, yeah, we ended up choosing for, for the medium frame with the full 29er setup. And uh, like I said, at the moment, I, I really love it. I've been spending time on a number of bikes recently that you can convert between a 29er and a mullet setup as well and have been just sort of trying to figure out how to characterize the differences in the way the two feel on a similar bike and a lot of what i have kind of wound up at as a way of describing it is that the mullet just makes the back end of the bike feel smaller and more compact and a little less stable and so that kind of matches up with what you're saying about just the overall bike feeling a little bigger with the full 29 and makes sense that if you're kind of between sizes and choosing the smaller frame that that would help even out the gap a little bit for sure for sure yeah yeah if if you for everyone that is listening pretty much is if you have the option to choose from uh with the same bike uh like like the Orbea Rallin it's delivered with the linkage so you can change the the bike in 29er and, um, and 650 at the back, so mullet. But if you feel like, you know, your bike is a little bit bigger, try the mullet setup. But at the opposite, if you feel like your bike is a little bit small and you could, you know, you have a room to play with, try the 29 wheels if you're on that setup and it will make some massive difference on the actual size and the, the way the bike feels when you ride down. And also up because Let's not forget that a mallet is always more pleasant and easier to ride up a steep hill than a full 29er setup. Right, for sure. The the extra clearance definitely helps there when you're getting off the back of the bike and something steep. I also wanted to ask a little more about something you touched on there with the fork selection and saying that you actually found yourself preferring the 36 on the GT where the frame wasn't quite as stiff. And it seemed like you were kind of hinting at that you were finding the opposite on the Orbea with a stiffer frame that the 38 felt like a better match for that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. When obviously when you're testing a bike, you, the first thing that you need to look for is the balance of the suspension. Um, and then you can, you can focus a little bit more on, you know, small details like stiffness. Uh, for example, we're talking about that. So, uh, yeah, like I say, with the GT, it was much more of a flexy bike because the rear hand was aluminium and the bike was forgiving more, but maybe a little bit less efficient. Um, so I felt like the 36 with the GT uh, gave a, a better overall feeling uh, of the bike. But uh, then with the Orbea, I tried with 36 and I felt like I was a little bit limited with the stiffness and the way I could charge through rocky a fast section so I was like no oh, it's strange because I really like the 36 with my GT but let's try the 38 you know to see how it feels like and the bike felt absolutely amazing um, my new bike the Obea felt absolutely amazing with 38 because it was a really balanced bike much more balanced than with the 36 like because the running is quite stiff and efficient and uh, i felt like um yeah the, the stiffness uh balance was uh, was much better with 38 and i was able to charge through uh stuff uh much easier with 38 gave me a little bit more confidence um but also with the gt my bike was a little bit heavier so I'm probably talking about one kilo extra um so i was trying to kind of um you know reduce the weight sometimes and also with the idler um it adds a little bit more drag uh through the liaison and obviously liaison is where you spend most most of your time uh, when you're racing the AWS, so you need to feel good, you need to be efficient on them. But with the Orbea, it's a little bit lighter, so I felt like there was not not so much compromise to be made that way. Um, and uh, yeah, opted for for a 38 with uh, with a 2.5 tire at the front, 2.4 at the back, and also Maxis was uh, something new for me as well because I was on Schwabi um, Continental, sorry at the beginning with Aston racing and then when I went on 
Shabi and uh, also finished um, 2021 with Michelin, which I really like the tire. But Maxis, once again, it's uh, slightly more efficient uh, tires than, um, than Michelin in terms of rolling speed. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel like uh, I've got a pretty co- good combo for, for this coming season. So like I say, very, very excited to put it on the clock and uh, be at the first races. A lot of good stuff there about just setup and tuning. That's all super interesting. What tires are you running more specifically? I'm using um, the Asa guy at the front uh, in 2.5 in uh, double down. And at the back, I'm using the DH casing, um, eye roller um, two. Um, so it's a, it's a fast rolling tire at the back with DH casing, but we just using the 2.4 uh, diameter uh, to make it feels a little bit more uh, playful at the back and uh, faster rolling speed uh, on the stages and on the liaison. Since you kind of spoken so well here about just bike setup in general, I'd also be curious to hear a little bit about you've done some DH racing in the last few years too. And I'd be curious to hear if you have thoughts on kind of how it feels going back and forth between racing enduro and DH and having to be accustomed and up to speed on both of the different bikes. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, there are some very significant differences in how the events work and what the kind of overall approach to them might be, even if they're both gravity mountain bike racing kind of at their core. Is there anything also that you do differently in terms of setting up your bikes to make going back and forth between the two easier that you might not do if you were only racing one discipline, for example, curious to hear your thoughts on all that. Um, good question. Um, I feel like, uh, both discipline, um, uh, as a, as a rider, as a racer, uh, helping us massively in the other discipline. So let's take, for example, racing enduro. Um, you need a lot of fitness. It's, uh, it's hard work, you know, the long stages, uh, the long days on the bike. Um, and then suddenly the next weekend you go at the downhill and everything feels quite easy in terms of, you know, physical energy um and it's way less time spent on the bike you know you're using the lift and you do maybe max five or six run per day and then comes the race there and you have you still have full energy you know to put in, into that run so um it, it's very interesting so a lot of people been asking me you know how how do you do to switch from one to the other but you know it's it's not that hard it's not that hard because even if you're racing DH, you know, the, the speed that you need to go for down here is, uh, you know, it's 100% of what you can do on the bike. But then suddenly the next weekend you're racing in DBS, but then you know you have room to play with the speed that you're going. So obviously you know a little bit less the track, but if you're ra- riding and racing 100%, at the EWS, you're going to make a mistake, you know. So you always need to hold a little bit back, you know, 90, 95% of the capacity that you have. But you need to hold back because track changes, condition changes, and you're getting tired, you know. We have five, six, sometimes seven stages per day, and you get tired. So lucidity is a little bit less. And, you know, there is a lot of factors that we need to, to, to consider uh to be you know not make any mistake and uh go 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 full gas for for the whole day rather than win the first two stages and crash for the rest of the day on every single stages so um yeah it's it's interesting it's uh it's i i'm aware that there is not so many people that are able to do to do so switching from one to the other um, but still in terms of bike switch from one bike to the other, I feel like in, in both ways, uh, you know, that's, that's why you need to train. You need to spend time on your bike and 
And, you know, if, if you show up to a EWS, you know, you can know the bike because that's the bike that you've been riding all year long on, um, almost every day. And, um, not, not, not exactly the same for the age because I live in Belgium and I don't really have tracks to ride the age. So I guess, you know, I, I don't really spend that much time, but still, you know, when you start practicing on Friday and you have couple of hours and then you know saturday you still have quality but you still have a lot of time to practice so you start to get to know the the bike and you start to find you know yourself on the bike change the suspension a little bit set up the whole bike but when comes sunday you know it feels like home on your bike so you can go full gas and that's that's what matter you know the the time that you do and the confidence that you have on sunday when you get on the dh bike you have enough time to work up to getting used to it on the race weekend. And so on that note, I mean, are you still planning to do some DH racing this year? Orbea doesn't have a DH bike in the lineup right now, but uh, are you still planning to give it a go? Yeah, I guess <laughs> I'm very sorry. I can't talk too much about it, uh, but that's the plan. And um, the plan is to race in Lords um, in a couple of weeks. So I guess there is there is a downer bike in the air or there is something that is getting ready at the moment but unfortunately i'm sorry guys but i can't really talk about it but probably see you in uh in uh in lords in uh in three weeks time now and uh we will figure out well fair enough uh looking forward to seeing what's coming up there and excited that you're going to be racing some dh too so that'll be cool and like you said we don't have to wait too long to find out first one's coming right up here so that'll be exciting. Exactly, yeah. It's going to be the first time ever that uh, Obea is lining up uh, at the downhill racing uh, ever. So it's it's super exciting for the engineers, uh, but also for myself to be uh, in the lead of such an exciting project uh, with Obea. Uh, the plan is obviously not to do the full season, focus uh, mostly on EWS, but... Um, I would like to do a couple, uh, for William is, is the plan as well, um, at the, at the middle of May. So, um, yeah, just, just all about experience, having fun, you know, progress with, uh, with that new bike. And, uh, yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm super, super excited to be, uh, to be in that project and I can't wait to show to show you guys, uh, what's, uh, what's on the pipeline at the moment yeah that's an exciting teaser we're looking forward to seeing it too one other thing i'd be curious to hear a little bit about kind of to bring it back around to ews is how you felt about the 2021 season format that had all the double header races in it and obviously some of that was just the result of covid throwing the world into disarray and the organizers having to kind of do what they could to pull a season together but uh yeah how did you feel about that and how much did it change the experience of racing the whole season compared to a more quote unquote typical season where you weren't doing quite as many double headers like that. Yeah, there was, I guess there was a lot of talks about double header, um, uh, this season, um, because, you know, I think the, the issue was that, um, the EWS were pretty much doing the same races, uh, back to back over a week. Uh, so we will have the identical, uh, almost identical, um, course. And, uh, for the people that subscribe and, um, and come to the races, you know, enduro racing is not done in racing. So it's all about discovering new trails. Um, uh, and yeah, that's what I mean, discovering new trails and, when you practice once, you have the races the next day, you have one day off and you race again the, the, the next day after. It, it becomes much more like a downhill racing and, uh, and also the experience, you know, you, you do three WS, but they're almost identical. So I think there was a lot of complaints about it. But I think also one of the problems with organizers at the moment is that, you know, there is EWS 80. There is EWS 100, uh, there is EWS E, so e-bike. Um, so I think there is, there is a lot on the fire uh, over the week of racing. And 
you know, they're trying for a financial point of view, I'm guessing they're trying to fit everything in one week. And, uh, and with the COVID pandemic over the last few years, uh, restriction to travel, uh, was there. So, you know, if we will come to one place, we'll get to, to EWS two races in. Uh, so we make sure that even if there is still, uh, um, disruption uh, for the next part of the season. At least there is enough races to make a championship. So I think that was that was the old goal of uh, of the the, the EWS organizer uh, last year. But I'm not not quite sure if they want to repeat that again in the future. It was more uh, a way to, like I said, to 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 make us race uh, safely and have enough races uh, through the season uh, in case of. Yeah, like I say, something happened or we can't travel or whatever, you know. I know I, I definitely think you're right that it was something that kind of came about as a way of managing COVID more than it being really the optimal solution. But yeah, I was just curious to hear your thoughts on how it went, which I think you spoke to pretty well. So Martin, this has been a ton of fun. It's been great having you on. Um, but before I let you go, we do like to wrap up here by asking our guests if they have a big idea to share with us. And so do you have anything for that? Um, I think we talked about the concussion topics. Um, it is it is truly uh, something deep in my heart that uh, I would like to see the, the sport gets better and involve a little bit more on that subject. Um, so yeah, my idea is, uh, it's hopefully to have, uh, to, to at least have all the athletes that are racing aware of the consequences of double concussion over one weekend of, um, of racing and, uh, just have the people aware that, you know, it can be dangerous and it can be lifetime lifestyle changing. Um, even if you don't realize, so yeah. My hope and uh, my my wish for for the next couple of years, and you know, EWS after EWS, uh, maybe invest a little bit more into that subject because, like we said before, you know, you break your arm, you break you break your finger, um, you have six weeks of rest, and you need to do so to recover. And I don't see why um, there is still not. Uh, uh, something available uh, to control um, the concussion impact that we had over one crash or two crashes and really, really have a, a red, red sign, not be able to start again riding. Um, that's, yeah, that's my idea for the future. So <laughs> I hope it, ha it happens. Yeah, that's a good one and an important subject that I'm glad is getting more attention than it has in, in the past and hopefully that continues. So I think that's a really good answer and a really important note for us to wrap on. So with that, Martin, it's been great having you on. Really appreciated you taking the time and good luck with the season once things get going here, which like we said is uh, as of when we're recording this just over three weeks out, which is very exciting. So wishing you all the best and looking forward to seeing how things go this year. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys. Really. Okay, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And again, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a quick minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Martin for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.